0: Well, good morning to you. I just want to warn you right here off the top that there may be homework involved with this message, okay? So, I mean, if you want to leave now, it's time to escape. And Well, we're about two-thirds of the way through our study in the book of Colossians, and I want to encourage you to uh, perhaps this week go back and read again from chapter 1, verse 1, all the way up through where we are in chapter 3, to not lose track of the flow. You know, you can do that. One of the downsides to preaching expositionally is, you know, each kind of message kind of stands on its own legs, and you can lose track of that flow. But Colossians, like all the books in your Bible, weren't written with chapters and verses. They were written as one letter. And uh, so do that this week, just to keep yourself in the flow of what's going on. And we've seen In our study of Colossians, that it is not about focusing on behaving better, but on believing better. Remember that? We've said that a lot. And the reason we have is because we realize that when we focus on behavior, it either leads to pride and self-righteousness, or it leads to frustration and works-oriented religion. Remember, we've talked about how religion is this aspect of striving to perform so well that we don't even really need to rely on Jesus, right? You know, um, as someone said in a group I visited a week or so ago, they said, uh, you know, religion is do good, get good, do bad, get bad. And so when we fall into that religious mindset, we don't even need Jesus because we're bringing it on ourselves, either good or bad, right? And so we don't want to focus on our behavior. We don't want to fall into that. We want to grab hold of the aspect that, no, it's, what I, it's living by what I believe. And so Paul spends the first two chapters of Colossians challenging us with what we need to believe. But, as we've seen in this turn into chapter 3, there is a link between belief and behavior, isn't there? That was your part right there. That was, that was the audience. Oh, good. Okay. Thank you. There for a minute. I thought I was the only one here. <laughs> there is a link between what we believe and how we behave. Steve Jobs, who was the uh, president, CEO of, of uh, Apple, died not very long back. Not a Christian, never claimed to be. But I, I was intrigued by this quote of his. Steve Jobs said this. He said, the juice goes out of Christianity when it becomes too based on faith rather than on living like Jesus or seeing the world as Jesus saw it. You see, what I think he was saying is this, that if if Christianity is just talk about what we supposedly believe, then the juice goes out of it, doesn't it? Because that belief has to be demonstrated in our behavior that backs up what we believe. Because, you see, in reality, we behave what we really believe. If I yelled fire right now, those of you who got up and made your way out of this room would be the ones who believe me. Those of you who just kind of sat there and looked around and looked at your watch and looked at your body. You don't really believe me, do you? because your behavior backs up what you believe. And so, here in chapter 3 and 4, Paul deals with actions, with behaviors. See, we like to create this category where you can supposedly behave one way and believe another. But that category doesn't exist. I thought it was interesting when Pastor Steve on Easter uh, in, our, in our Easter celebration just a couple of weeks ago, and he was kind of at the end presenting this quadrant, and he said in response, some of you might be at the passive unbelief, or maybe you're at the active unbelief, or you might be at the active belief. But I, I kind of t- took notice to myself that there wasn't a fourth quadrant in that. There wasn't a passive belief. You know Why? You know what passive belief is? It's unbelief, see? You can't have that category of believing one way and it not matching up with your behavior because you behave what you really believe. And so it's only natural that after Paul deals in chapters 1 and 2 with how we are to believe, that in chapters 3 and 4... He, res- he, he goes into how we should respond, how we should behave in response to that belief. And so, here in chapter 3 and 4, Paul challenges us to put into action the things that are consistent with what we believe, not in order to earn God's favor. That's self righteousness, that's religion but because you already have God's favor. See, resting in that, relying on that, is believing the gospel. Behaving in ways that please Christ is the juice of believing the gospel. Let me illustrate it another way. I love Janet, my wife. 30 years ago, I swung for the fences and asked her to marry me. And I've spent every day since grateful she said yes. And so, I do things to try to please her. I seek to demonstrate that love to her. Not in order to get her to love me back. Not to try to earn her love, but because I love her. You see, I behave in a way that's consistent with what I believe. Do you get it? And so that's what Paul here in Colossians chapter 3 is challenging us to do, to behave in a way that's consistent with what we believe. By the way, if you go back and reread, you know, chapter one, verse one, four, I would encourage you to read chapter three, maybe a couple of times this week. Again, not to lose track of the flow of what he's saying here. See, Paul says in chapter three that Christ is my life, verse four, that he is my focal point. He says in verse three that we are hidden in Christ by the death of Jesus. You see, my identity is obscured by Jesus, Earthly things don't define me. Jesus does. And so because of that, I set my mind and my heart on things above. Verse 1. See, not on earthly things, not on things that will pass away, not on things that have short-term value, but on eternal kingdom value sorts of things. And then I seek to put to death. Sexual immorality and impurity and lust and evil desires and greed, as he says in verse 5. I want to eliminate actions and attitudes that displease Jesus. I want to take off anger and rage and malice and slander and filthy language and lying, like it says in verse 8 and 9. Because Christ is all and is in all, verse 11. You see, I want to take off that old tacky jacket because it's not consistent. That behavior isn't consistent with the belief of my heart. And so I take it off. But Paul challenges us then to not just stand there naked when we've taken those things off. He challenges us instead to replace those behaviors with other behaviors. Behaviors that are consistent with what we believe. And that's today's passage. If you haven't turned so, you can join me in Colossians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 12 to 17. You may also or instead of want to reach inside your celebration folder and pull out the message notes. They're there for you. And it's got this passage right there at the top. And so let me read for us Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 12. Paul says, therefore, it's there because of all of those things that we just said out of chapter 3. Therefore, because of that, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly love, clothe yourself with compassion... Kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Paul gives this this list, of character traits, of, of attitudes, of, of actions that we're to put on, of compassion, kindness, being humble, being gentle, patient, and, and bearing with each other, and being forgiving. And loving. That's a big one, he says. That kind of ties a lot of them together, being loving. And he says, and having having peace to rule in our hearts. Being thankful. And having the courage to speak into each other's lives and to admonish one another. Having a heart of worship, singing to God with gratitude. In our hearts. And I, I think most of us hear those things and we think, man, I, I, I want to be that way. Those are traits I, I want to have. But as I was wrestling with it, as I was preparing for this message, the, the question I kept asking is: Well, I get that. But how the heck do I do that? How in the world do I get those? those traits, those aspects, those attitudes into me. And I know that the key isn't to so focus on how well I behave that it becomes performance-based religion. We get that. We've heard that this whole book, right? But how can I build these actions, these attitudes into my life so that my behavior backs up what I really believe? How do do I do that so that I'm compassionate and caring? And I'm kind. You know, Christians very often are the rudest, most obnoxious people on the planet, aren't we? Somewhere along the way... Many of us have thought that our role towards non-Christians is to show them how right we are and how wrong they are. And we've forgotten to be kind. Centuries ago, Ambrose was the pastor of the cathedral in Milan and he showed kindness towards this pagan, loose-living fellow named Augustine. Augustine didn't particularly like Ambrose's preaching. But he was struck by the man's kind actions towards him. And so he went to hear him speak. Went to hear him preach again. And kept coming back because of that. And eventually, Ambrose led Augustine to Christ. Later, Augustine, writing back on that, by the way, we call him Saint Augustine now wrote this about Ambrose. He said, I began to love him, not at first as a teacher of the truth, which I despised a finding in the church. I didn't even want to hear it. He says, but as a fellow creature who was kind to me. See, how do I I become that kind of person? Who lives out, who practices being kind. And... And, and showing humility. I mean, talk about something that's counter-cultural. Humility, right? We live in a culture that's like, you know, it's payback time, right? I don't forget. How do we build humility into us? Peter, writing, uses much the same language as Paul here. 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 5 and 6 says this. In the same way, you who are younger submit yourselves to your elders, all of you, Clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. Because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And so humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. How do I become that kind of person who's, who's, who's bringing myself under Somebody else's opinions. Willingly putting myself underneath others, conceding to others' decisions and choices and opinions. Letting them carry more weight than mine. How do I do do that? Or being forgiving. Being the kind of person who, who lets people off of the hook rather than holding on to their offenses. Being the kind of person who's at peace, even in the midst of chaos and uncertainty and closed doors. Being the kind of person who's characterized by thankfulness, rather than being upset all the time. And so again, as I I reflected on this, I thought, how in the world do we do these things? Do we we get these attitudes into my life, my practice? How do I do that? How How does any of us do that? And what I realized is that through the years, Christians have believed in practices, in spiritual disciplines, as pathways. To developing character change in us. As as, as ways to develop the type of attitudes and actions like those that Paul mentions here in Colossians 3. The kind of behaviors that match someone who is fully embracing and believing the glorious gospel message that Jesus died on the cross in my place, that he experienced the wrath instead of me, that is incredibly good news, isn't it? How do I become, how do I take these practices in order to create in me the behavior that matches a person who really embraces and believes that? And so what I want to give you at the time that I have left is just a series, just a handful of spiritual disciplines for you to consider. I'm not saying you should go out and do all seven of these. I'm not saying necessarily that you should even do any of these. But perhaps the Holy Spirit might lay on your mind that in this coming week or these coming weeks to that, 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 that practicing one of these disciplines, one of these practices might help you in that pursuit of behaving in ways that are consistent with what you believe. And I've given you, you'll notice the very extensive notes I've given you there. A lot of white space. So you can write down as much or as little as you would care to do so. But consider these. Here's the first one. is the discipline of solitude. You see, in solitude, I deliberately withdraw from people and work and busyness to be alone with the Father. I eliminate the scaffolding in my life to see what remains when it's just God and me. You know, you often see this being practiced in Jesus' life, don't you, Him withdrawing from the crowds to be alone? Mark chapter 1, verse 35, there's an example of it. It says, very early in the morning... While it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house, and he went off to a solitary place. He was practicing solitude. Well, maybe you think, well, okay, well, what do I do when I'm in solitude? Well, you might pray, you might meditate, you might study the scriptures. But see, the main thing isn't about what you do, it's about what you don't do. See, in solitude, I don't engage in busyness, our relationship, our conversation. But instead, I withdraw from all of that in order to find out what is there really there between God and me. And to remember that I am the one that God loves. Maybe you would benefit from from trying that out this week sometime. Here's a second practice, a second spiritual discipline. is the discipline of silence. The psalmist says, be still and know that I am God. You see, there's a connection between being still and knowing that God is God. And so in silence, I refrain from noise and conversation and stimulation to find out what's going on in my mind when it's not being distracted. Which, truthfully, in our culture is most of the time, right? You know, people, as a rule, hate silence. Many people have their televisions. Turned on in their homes all the time. And in surveys of people who do that, when they ask them, why do you? You know what the number one response is? Noise. See, I just like the noise. I'm not watching it that necessarily. I just like the noise. And so maybe you want to experiment with this discipline, the discipline of silence this week, in order to find out in those times what's really going on in your mind. And maybe that might mean not necessarily turning on the TV first thing in the morning or turning the television on as soon as you get home. Maybe it might mean not having something playing in your car while you're driving to work or home from work one time or one period of time. Maybe it might mean not having music in the background at some point one day. See, just let your mind reflect on God instead and His great love for you. Here's a third one. Is being in an ongoing relationship with a difficult person? Now, you've never thought about this one before. But see, you don't learn to love... By only being in relationship with people who you like and get along with. You know how you learn to love? You learn to love by being with people who don't like you. Or who you don't like. That's why what led Henry Nowen to write, Community is that place where the person you least want to be there always is. (laughs) And that's why I think, you know, people who... Who leave a small group because there's somebody there that they don't get along with. Maybe that's the exact reason why you ought to be in that small group. Or we leave our jobs, or our marriages, or our friends. Right? Isn't that what we do? Maybe you've never thought about it this way before. Now, I'm not saying go find a group of people that you most hate and hang around them all the time. That's like crazy, Right? Reminds me of my favorite Louis Grisard quote. Louis Grisard was a humor writer. He's dead now, but he had been married and divorced three times. And uh, he said he was never going to get married again. Instead, every five years, he was going to find a woman he hated and buy her a house. <laughs> so I'm not saying start hanging around with all your exes and, you know, that's like sadistic. I don't know. But listen to Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5. He says this, verse 43, You have heard that it was said, Love your neighbors and hate your enemies. But I tell you, love your enemies. And pray for those who persecute you. Verse 46, If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are, you going, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? And so maybe for you. See, this is so counter to the way we think, isn't it? See, normally when we have people in our lives that are difficult to go with, what we think is all our energy goes into how do I, how do I get away from them as fast as possible? How do I spend as least amount of time with them as I can? And maybe the discipline that the Holy Spirit might lead you to do is to figure out ways, rather than pushing yourself back from those relationships, figure out ways to engage yourself more, purposefully engaging yourself in the path of some people that you have trouble getting along with. Maybe you should consider that. Number four, here's another one is the discipline of secrecy. You see, in secrecy, I deliberately abstain from making sure that my good deeds and impressive accomplishments get known. I deliberately place the PR department of my life in God's hands. Now, now this is a practice that is especially valuable for those of us who wrestle with approval addiction. See, when Paul says earlier in Colossians 3 that we are hidden in Christ, what he means is that I find my worth, my value in who I am in Christ, not through actions of pleasing others are getting recognized, are being appreciated by people. And so through this discipline... We, we begin to learn what it would be like to be free of the constant, chronic, toxic addiction of needing to impress or to protect our image. And so maybe the Holy Spirit would lead you to give that a, a practice this week or in the coming weeks. A fifth discipline is the discipline of fasting. Fasting. And in fasting, I deliberately abstain from eating for a set period of time. It, it can just be a meal. It can be longer than that. It can be a half day or a day or longer. But I abstain for a set period of time from eating. Now, why do we do that? You remember, the, remember Cookie Monster? You Sesame Street fans? Cookie Monster lives by a very simple philosophy in life. Here's what it is. See cookie, want cookie, eat cookie. Right? And you know, we are constantly given this message in our culture that we are nothing more than a bundle of appetites that exist to be gratified. I mean, it comes out in our language all the time. Well, I just couldn't help myself. I'm just just that way. I'm just wired up that way. See? But in fasting... I learned that it's possible to not immediately gratify my appetite and still be okay. That's what Jesus did with the devil when when he said, man cannot live by bread alone. But the things that I get from God, my even greater need comes from God and his word. So maybe you want to consider that. You know, fasting doesn't have to necessarily be food. It could be other things. Maybe it's going for a period of time without television. Or going a period of time without the Internet. Or maybe going a period of time without your cell phone. I've gone too far now, haven't I? (laughs) Here's the sixth one. Is the discipline of serving, I know the entire youth section over here, you know sorry they're like murmuring amongst themselves <laughs> self did he say self out here's number six is serving in serving, I devote time and energy to bless another person, and I do it as a way to try to be set free from my own selfishness and to grow in humility. To gain freedom from pride and entitlement and always needing to have my own way. And so we serve to be liberated from our chronic sense of self-importance that just sort of gets into us, doesn't it? You know, we have Surf Fest coming up in a couple weeks. That's an opportunity. Maybe you or your small group want to band together and do something on that particular Saturday. Uh, we've got the, the, the free car or the free oil change thing coming up and... Uh, not very many weekends. Maybe that's a way that you may want to do it. You don't have to do it in an organized way. You don't... It might be just something you do. You might just choose that you're going to take a day and determine that your focus that day is going to be on blessing others for the purpose of freeing yourself from that chronic focus on me. Maybe that's something you might want to consider. Here's one final one for this today, is the discipline of celebration. In celebration, I enjoy the goodness of God in a way that makes me grateful to Him. Now, one way that that we practice this, or can practice this, is the discipline of public worship. You know, where we join together with others to celebrate Jesus and... And his actions on my behalf. That we honor God for who he is and what he means in our lives. And, and we do this for God's benefit, not mine. Sometimes, you know, small group people say to me, well, we don't, we don't like to do worship in our group because we don't like to sing. And I think, well, maybe that's the exact reason why you ought to do it. See, as a, as a, as a discipline. I'm not, I'm not saying you have to. But, but it's worth considering. People say, well, I I don't like the way we worship around here. I think, well, that's good. Because for you, you... you, you, See, those of us who like the way we worship, sometimes we get lost and we start to think it's about doing things for me rather than focusing on God. If you don't like the worship, you've got the advantage of the whole time you know you're doing it for God. (laughs) Right? That's just one way of practicing this discipline of celebration. You know, another way is just choosing to be joyful. Paul said in uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. And so celebration is training for joy. Training for joy. Man, I mean, you, you see that happen through, all throughout the Old Testament, don't you? Man, I mean, they, they, they had all these feasts. Every time you turn around, it was another feast. It was another thing where they were gathering together, and there would be music, and, and they would enjoy being together, and there would be food, and, 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 and they would celebrate. You know, why did they do that? They were training to be joyful. And so maybe you wrestle with joylessness. And God might be calling you to just experiment in the practice of celebration. You could do that this week. Maybe just pick one day this week to be your joy day. You know, your phone rings, you look at the caller ID, and you think, nope, can't answer that, it's my joy day, you know. <laughs> I don't know. My friend Steve, who, um, who has cancer, but it's in remission, And recently, um, he had some inflamed lymph nodes, and he went to get them tested for fear that his cancer had returned. And when he got the call from the doctor telling him that his cancer had not returned, that his test came back negative, I said, man, what did you do? And he said, man, I praised God all the way to Panera, and then I got the largest cinnamon roll they had, and I ate it all myself. (laughs) You see, he was practicing the discipline of celebration, of training ourselves to be joyful. Well, there's so many more. I mean, we're just scratching the surface. But, But please don't miss the point. It's not about doing these things so that God will love or accept me. It's not about doing these things so that God will love me more or think more of me. Listen, you are already loved and accepted in Jesus. If you know Christ as your Savior, you are hidden in Christ. When God looks on you, he doesn't see your failings and your shortcomings, nor does he see your good efforts. You know what he sees? He sees Jesus. You're hidden in Christ. Nor is it about getting so good at these things that we can start looking down our noses at other people who aren't as good at them as we are so that we start to believe that we don't desperately need Jesus as much as everybody else. So again, here's, what I, here's my challenge. Here's the homework. Consider if maybe one of these might be a pathway for you to seek to go down. Not not out of legalism, not out of self righteousness, our, our our religious works oriented religion, but as a means for you, maybe, to instill in you the behaviors that are consistent with what you believe. As you embrace the glorious gospel of Christ, the good news of Christ's death on the cross, receiving the wrath that I deserve. And so I behave. I, I want the behaviors in my life that match the belief of my heart. Don't you? So that's the challenge. Okay, I don't have any more. So, But don't leave. I'm sincere about that. Because in this next eight, ten minutes, however long it is, we're going to do several things that are very important. We're going to give our offering. You know, that's a whole other discipline, giving. I didn't even talk about that one. But, but you know, Jesus says where your treasure is, there will be your, your heart also. You know, if you don't value Jesus above all else, maybe you should give until you do. Perhaps. Maybe that's what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you. We're going to worship We're going to celebrate God for who he is, that he is our strong rock, that he is our refuge. And we're going to sing about grace to his glory. And we're going to give you an opportunity to pray. So, you know, worship team people, you better come. And if you're a prayer person, you come. You know, it takes humility to bring your need to someone else and say, Would you go to God on my behalf? Would you? And so maybe... This morning, there's stuff going on in your life. I know we prayed for each other a minute ago, but maybe God has turned up something else. Or, or maybe it's got nothing to do with anything that I've talked about. Maybe before you really wanted to, but you were just too scared. You know, let, let's take advantage of this opportunity and the time that we have left as we worship, as we enter into that discipline together, for some of us to just bring our needs to someone who will pray to God on our behalf, that will enter into our need with us. Let's do that, Okay. So let's stand together and let's worship God as we finish up today.